How you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. Good. Very cold, but I'm very well. <laughs> well, that's what you get.、Mm. You live in a cold country. It's very true. I don't want to, you know, turn this into one of those type of podcasts. But I am currently recording this in bed <laughs> right now because that's how cold I am. Lovely. It's so cold here that I am currently recording this in bed to warm my little toesies up. Your toesies. My toesies, yeah, my toesies are very cold. Yeah, that's that's what we need the listeners to know. Your toesies. My my toesies are cold. I don't think. Yeah, you know, I need I need thicker socks. Honestly, I don't have enough. I, I don't have enough. I think thick you socks. need to stop talking about your socks and your toesies to our worldwide audience. Why? They don't care. What if they do care though? But they don't. What if I wake up tomorrow morning and there's an express delivery? Of thick socks, woolly ones. How would that happen? Since we're recording today, and this episode is airing on Saturday, don't ruin this for me. <laughs> Nobody's buying you socks. They might do. They won't. They don't even、they、know、might. your address. How are they going to send it to you? We should have a PO box for people who want to send us stuff. No, we shouldn't. People don't want to send us stuff. They might do. You have a problem with us having a Ko-fi account. But they might be listening to this right now, and they might be going, "Do you know what? That man needs thick socks." You have a、Let's、problem with us having a Ko-fi account and asking people to donate towards our efforts in making this podcast. But asking them for woolly socks is okay. Yeah. You don't. You see, can't you... barter anything with woolly socks. It's not like I'm going to take my woolly socks and, and go down to Tesco's and say I have these pair of woolly socks. Can I get a aubergine? <laughs> oh my good god! Do you know that's a rude emoji? An aubergine. <laughs> I didn't know this. It's a rude. You told me this. It's a rude emoji. It's a rude emoji. It doesn't really mean aubergine. <laughs> It does not. No, no. Have you ever sent it? It means a willy. Before I told, <laughs> before I told you that it was a rude emoji, had you sent it? Had you sent it? Had I said、uh, yes, but not intentionally as a, you know, willy. <laughs> I mean, I'd sent it thinking that oh, let's get some aubergines. <laughs> you really like aubergines. I mean. They're nice. They're not. They're soggy and they taste funny. Are we talking about <laughs> the vegetable now, or are we talking about the vegetable? What are we talking about? I'm talking about? about the vegetable. Okay, fine. Unlike right, you,、Excellent. I'm not gonna give personal details of my life to the audience,、uh-huh. such as my、okay. toesies are cold. Okay. All right then. Fine. But it's okay to talk about how you find. Oh my god. Can we please, please start the podcast? Hello, you're listening to Brazil Nuts, an insane journey through the world of Brazilian politics, with your hosts Larissa Peixoto, political scientist, and Gareth Davis, the man who puts the beef into Chef Boyardee's beefaroni. Coming up on this episode, we're talking about whales. In Brazil, gets everywhere, like a termite. 
Please remember to rate and review us wherever you rate and review things. Maybe you're a music journalist who's reviewing the latest Cliff Richard album. And you're like, I like Cliff. Solid entertainer. However, I can't feel that his cover of My Balls, Your Chin by Snot is a mistake. However, what I will give all the stars to is Brazil Nuts. It's a podcast and an audio delight. You'd probably like it. Okay, thanks for listening. I have a New Year's story for you, by the way. Yay! Okay. Yeah. So this comes from the Daily Mirror. Oh, that's going to be good. Well, this is a banger. This is... Uh, this was published on the 1st of January, 2021. And it says, A psychic who makes predictions by throwing asparagus across the room <laughs> has claimed to foresee the events of 2021. <laughs> including a new normal after the coronavirus pandemic and a royal breakup. Gemma Packington from Evesham uses asparagus tips rather than a crystal ball to make her predictions. Okay, I need to stop you right there. Okay. She predicted a new normal after the pandemic. My God, this woman, such a mystic. Where does she draw her powers from? Asparagus, we've already discussed this. And a royal breakup. Come on, none of those couples are real. Anyways. I love your conspiracy theories about the the British royal family. (laughs) It's amazing, honestly. Like last time, last time we (laughs) recorded this, you almost, you almost wandered down the David Icke route of their all nine-foot reptilian aliens who drink the blood of virgins. No, but there is the, I think the, the... Conspiracy theory that they're all hemophiliacs is, you know, more down to earth. And then you have that Doctor Who episode that takes that into the, they're actually werewolves, which is pretty cool as well. No, I just don't think you can actually survive in that. Like, oh, yeah, let's create a princess here in this horrifying environment of a magnifying worldwide Looking glass. No, it's terrible, and I don't think it works. In any way, there shouldn't be a royal family. Anywhere. Sue me. Okay, fine. So, you're listening to Anarchy in the UK, the new podcast from Larissa Peixoto. (laughs) Jemima Packington from Evesham uses asparagus tips rather than a crystal ball to make her predictions, earning her the nickname Mystic Veg. After throwing the vegetables into the air and reading the patterns they form, the 65-year-old says they showed the pandemic will begin to pass by June and the world's population will become kinder as a result. Jemima predicts foreign travel will become an occasional option rather than the annual norm. Extremes of weather will continue with tropical storms becoming more frequent and Gus to become a popular baby name in 2021. She forecasts, although the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic will still be felt around the world, the vaccines will bring a return to the new normal by June 2021, although not a return to the pre-pandemic days. The world's population will become kinder and more tolerant as a direct result of the pandemic, and governments will be more beholden to the will of their people. It's pretty grim reading for the royals in 2021, as Jemima predicts at least two divorces, and says Harry will return to the UK on his own in March, 
when he will be advised there will not be an extension to his current terms. She says we can also expect a spate of ill health among royals of all ages, and adds the Queen will make an important announcement in June to coincide with her official birthday as sovereign, perhaps hinting she may hand power to Charles. Never! It's bad news for celebs and influencers with the psychic predicting that general public will switch their attention towards real heroes instead. Jemima warns, big salaries for sports stars and the obsession with celebrities will become things of the past. (laughs) Fear of semi-professional sportsmen will re-emerge along with the focus on real heroes. She says, former President Trump will be disowned by GOP members because of his appalling handling of the US domestic situation. He will not stand for a further term as president, and his future is uncertain. She also added there will be no second Scottish referendum. So the Asperger's didn't really tell her much about Trump. His future is uncertain. Mm. Mm. Jemima, who says she is world-famous herself as the planet's only Asparamancer, (laughs) has a mixed record (laughs) with previous predictions. Having said Donald Trump would win the latest US election, her successes include predicting Brexit, claiming a major celebrity couple would split in 2017 just before Jamie and Louise Redknapp announced they'd broken up, and forecasting UK flooding in 2018 to then see Storm Eleanor hit. I'm surprised Trump didn't use her testimony to try and, you know, to <laughs> void the election. Like, see? Jemima predicted I'd win! In the same year, she made some accurate, if not vague, predictions that earthquakes will continue to occur, politicians will be involved in scandals, and world economies will go up and down. She correctly foresaw a slump in Bitcoin in 2018, but also incorrectly claimed Theresa May would be booted out of office in the same year. Explaining her talent, Jemima said, I'm able to interpret the patterns left by the asparagus. When I cast the asparagus, it creates patterns, and it is the patterns I interpret. Jemima's an idiot, and she just says whatever comes to her little brain, and then some stuff works out and some stuff doesn't, because she would just talk and talk and talk and talk until, you know, somehow somebody listens for some reason. That's insane. Oh my god, we'll have a new normal. Really? I'm shocked. Would you like to know what the most like comment in the responses to this news article is? Yes, please. Let's see what the British public has to say about it. This is from Sir James, who may or may not be a real sir, <laughs> and or called James. And uh, this was posted one day ago. His comment, liked four times, is, I predict very smelly wee. I mean, she does have to do something with the rest of the asparagus. (laughs) If you were using a vegetable to predict the future with, what vegetable would you use? Well, I use onions a lot. So that's my go-to vegetable for cooking. I always have onions and garlic. So I'd probably use onion and garlic peels. Mm. Because I have a lot of that Mm. on hand. Okay, and what, they just put it in a bowl, give it a shake, open it up and go, nah. Maybe put it in water and see the shapes, like tea leaves. Okay. What about right, you? That's interesting. What would you do? I'd use a potato. Yeah, that's very British of you. Yeah, but I'd throw it against the wall. <laughs> 
and then you see the smashed pieces. Exactly, absolutely. And I'd be looking at that going, that looks like a lump of potato <laughs> that vaguely resembles Kamala Harris. I'm sure she'll take over the presidency when Joe Biden dies. Goes. Are you predicting <laughs> Joe Biden's death? He's a very old man. He's and... not that old, but he does seem weaker. Like, he's 76, right? Yes. Yeah. Which is the age you should retire from everything, oh, honestly. No, 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 no. White men, politicians, do not know the meaning of the word retire and give room to younger politicians so they can do their thing. They cling to power and office. Right, okay. But what I'm saying is, is that I'm a white man who is significantly younger than 75. And I'll be honest with you, I can't wait to retire on it, really. <laughs> All I want to do is put my feet up in a pair of nice socks, listeners, <laughs> in front of an open fire with a, a dog, maybe, possibly, and a pipe and a newspaper, and that'll be my day. That, that's all I want with life. And a, a pipe? Yeah, I'm so going to take up pipe smoking when I, when I retire. That's going to be amazing. Oh my god. I wouldn't even put any tobacco in it. I'll just have it. <laughs> well, at least there won't be any tobacco in it. No, exactly. But it'll look cool as I'm reading my paper. <laughs> what paper? Fido's fetching there me there my won't be any more physical papers when you're 75. See, that's my prediction, Jemima. Your prediction is that 2021 will be the year that the entire print media collapses. No. Oh. No. Okay. When you're 75. Okay. I didn't say that the print media will collapse. Kind of did. I mean, when was the last time... You actually read a physical newspaper. This morning. Liar! It's Sunday. Of course I read a newspaper every Sunday. You get an actual physical newspaper to read? Yes, of course. Oh my god, you're so old. <laughs> what, does that, what does that mean? What does that mean? I haven't touched a physical newspaper in years. And even then, my dad had a subscription, uh, which he cancelled. And I mostly just touched it to, you know, pack up broken glass. Sometimes he would give it to me, like, look at this news story. And it was something, you know, about gender quotas or something like that. Just cute that he would give it to me to read. Did you read it? No. <laughs> now he sends me WhatsApp messages and then he comes into my room and goes, did you see the thing I sent you on the zap? Because that's oh. how old Brazilians call WhatsApp. That's amazing. No. Yes, no. Whenever you message me from now on, I'm going to go, oh, oh, Larissa has zapped me. Okay, so everyone, this is the last episode of Brazonuts <laughs> because I am ending my friendship with Gareth. So, what are we talking about today? Well, we had a question from our mailbag episode that we decided would be cool for a whole episode. One of our mm -hmm. regular listeners asked about whales in Patagonia and if there were any similar initiatives in Brazil. Okay. And it turns out there were. Okay. So, listeners, we've decided to split this up and Gareth is going to go first and talk about whales in Patagonia. Am I? Yeah. G good. I okay, great. I thought we great. decided this. 
I'm I'm glad we decided this and that I'm very prepared for this. Oh my god, do you want me to go first? No, no, no. You you said that, that this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. I am a profesh. I mean, the Brazilian Welsh community did come before the Patagonian one. Regardless, doesn't matter. This is going to be swish, nothing but net. All right. All right. So, Wales in Patagonia starts with a chap named Michael D. Jones. Jonesy to his friends, <laughs> probably. He is, in many respects, he's the father of modern Welsh nationalism. He was a reverend by trade, and he kind of looks like if you had a Lord of the Rings movie that was set solely in the Valley of the Dwarves. <laughs> He would kind of be maybe the third or fourth most important character in that. A wizened old head. I love that being a reverend is a trade. In Wales it is, yeah, sure. Exactly. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, could you build a house? No. You any good with uh, woodworking? No. (laughs) How's your groating skills? Yeah. Fair to Midland, right? Church it is for you, my boy. <laughs> That's how that works, generally speaking. Anyway, so his father was a reverend, so he later on, he basically took over from his father in the family biz, it turns out. He was very, very passionate about the fact that England had come to Wales and eroded the Welsh identity, what with their culture and their working tools, and their, you know, trousers. (laughs) Dude, come on. What? What? The Welsh had culture and trousers before the English came. I mean, you say that. And working tools. You say that, you can't prove it. Anyway, (laughs) he was very unhappy with all of this, and he felt that uh, Welsh people were were losing their identity and losing their culture and losing their heritage. This didn't help when he went to the US. He went to become the head of a church in Cincinnati, Ohio, where there was a Welsh settlement there. And what he found was that the Welsh colony there had entirely given up trying to be Welsh. (laughs) And instead were just sitting around all day Eating cheeseburgers, watching friends, <laughs> and going to monster truck rallies. Going to all the monster truck rallies <laughs> and cheering on Bigfoot Love too. Love you, our US audience. You're awesome. You are very awesome. We do love you. I don't know what Michael D. Jones was talking about, honestly, but that's where we are. Anyway, so. So he came back, and he was determined, therefore, in that case, to create a new Wales. A Wales away from Wales. A Wales that would be pure. A Wales that would have the most reverence for its own history and heritage. Why does everything have to be so extreme, though? Ah, pure. What the hell is pure, dude? Chill. As far as Wales is concerned. I mean, basically, it just means... Knowing all the words in Welsh to Calon Lan 
and <laughs> growing your own leeks. That that's basically what it means. Kalon Land is a beautiful song. I love it. Mm. But do you know it in Welsh? No, I only know the melody. I'm still right. learning. Okay. But what I mean is, there is no purity in anything. So that's just like I would agree with him that don't need to destroy somebody's culture on purpose. But if people are, you know, assimilating on their own, chill, dude. Just chill. Sitting around playing their Asian. Sonic the Hedgehogs. <laughs> That's all you need to be assimilated? My sister is a goner. <laughs> so, anyway, he was determined in that case to set up this new Wales away from Wales. And he gathered together a bunch of notable locals who all of committed course. to financing and lending support to this idea. And he basically came up with the idea that he would fund a settlement that would be in one of three places. And he narrowed this down to three places. The places were Australia, New Zealand, or Patagonia in Argentina. Why did he pick wrong? Well, well, now, you'd say this. The reason why they eventually landed on Patagonia as the obvious choice you would settle a Welsh colony is because the Argentinian government at the time were determined to get more people to come to Argentina. It was they, they were concerned that Buenos Aires had become too popular and there was too many people living in that particular area and not enough people living in the rest of the country. And so, To be fair, they just wanted the white people. Indeed. So what they wanted... Well, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> so what they decided was that the rest of Argentina was completely open for business and there was a, an actual predetermined idea of attracting people to Argentina by any means necessary. Now, one of these means necessary was that when Michael D. Jones asked the Argentinian government, what's Patagonia like? The Argentinian <laughs> government came back with, it's exactly like Wales, but it is exactly the same. Rolling hills, lush meadows, as far as the eye can see, sheep. Oh, so many sheep! You'll be, you'll be laughing, mate. It'd be great, great, right? Michael Jones was like, "Cool, excellent." <laughs> That's so cool. Australia is obviously mostly desert, and New Zealand is a lot like Wales with the number of sheep it has, but you know, it's. There's too many mountains, too many cliff faces, not enough hills for my liking. So, <laughs> so why don't we all decamp and go to Patagonia? And so that's what they did. Yeah, and I mean, Patagonia is more isolated. Indeed. I, I think that might have played a role in his choice. Maybe, maybe. Who knows at this point, honestly. I mean, th this, man was, this man was determined to do something. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what that something was, but he was determined to do it. <laughs> Okay, that was a cruel little thing that the Argentinian government did. Yeah. Can you yeah. imagine you're on a boat for months and months and months thinking you're going to find paradise and you just find ice? Mm, indeed, absolutely. Well, here's the thing. The boat that transported the original, the first wave of colonists to 
uh, Argentina was called the Mimosa. <laughs> which is probably, probably not the greatest name to give a boat that's leading you to your certain doom. <laughs> I'm not certain doom, but yeah. I, I see. It was certain doom. They arrive in Argentina and essentially they get there and they find out the landscape is not like Wales at all in any way, shape or form. It is very much not rolling meadows and luscious hills and there's very few sheep. Let's be honest about this. It is beautiful, and I've always wanted to go to Patagonia, but it's definitely not like Wales. No, it's definitely Although not like Although I have like also Wales. never been to Wales. No, it's definitely not like Wales. And so these bunch of Welsh dudes turn up to Patagonia. And I say Welsh dudes, it was predominantly male, the original colonist. None of oh, these people right. were farmers. I'd also like to it's point this great out. great idea. Let's just take dudes. Exactly, absolutely. None of these people had any experience in farming whatsoever. There was one person amongst this group who had rudimentary, at best, medical knowledge. There was a pregnant woman amongst them who gave birth, basically from where they landed to the March 2 Patagonia. Yeah, let's not bring women to give birth while there. Let's bring one already pregnant woman. Mm. Oh my god. Oh yeah, my god. no. It was an absolute disaster. And so they get to this place, and obviously they have no idea what they're doing there. They have absolutely no concept of how to turn this less than fertile land into something that will grow crops and so on. And they're on the brink of death, honestly, until the local population, the native population of Patagonia, kind of go, right the lads? Need any help at all? <laughs> got some, um, got some animal furs here, if you want them. You know, just put them on. Maybe not die. Of hypothermia, possibly. Do you want to do that? And that's, that's essentially what happened. Initially, when these two groups met each other, there was, there was conflict and there was violence and there was war. And then basically the native Patagonians went, I tell you what, honestly, let's not, let's not fight because you're kind of pathetic. And it's a bit like squashing a marmoset. <laughs> what we will do is we will clothe you and feed you for a bit so that you don't all die. And then hopefully, you can leave at some point. <laughs> and then, during half of all of this, the uh, Welsh colony actually discover that they can irrigate some of the surrounding landscape within their particular settlement. So they do that, and they finally get some crops and farming working, and they, they sort of kind of prosper a bit. But honestly, the idea that the Welsh in Patagonia is some sort of successful, brilliant, you know... Wonderful colony that's been established and passed down for Jerry. It's absolute bollocks. It's absolute nonsense. It does, however, have one legacy behind it, which has been left yeah. behind, which is Patagonian Welsh, which is a variant of Welsh that currently has approximately somewhere in the region of about either 1,500 to 5,000 speakers, depending on which estimate you believe. It's a different variant of Welsh that is very much of its own. Easier? No, not easier. Okay, then never mind. No, Welsh is 
notoriously not easy to learn. <laughs> does differ from the Welsh language in certain respects, but only occasional words, phrases, so on, so forth. It's like it's a mixture of Spanish and Welsh, which... Sounds lovely. As you can imagine, what a marriage made in heaven that is. <laughs> and it is spoken by approximately... It dep- I mean, it depends on which estimate you believe. Um, but it's either somewhere in the region of about 1,500 people within the area, or it's somewhere within the region of about 5,000 people within the area. Yeah, that's a very... Those are very different estimates. Those are very different estimates, indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a bit like the Pablo Escobar's hippos of languages, <laughs> really. In that everybody knows it's there, they just don't know how many of them there are. And it, it really shouldn't be there. <laughs> it's like a very weird mix of things. Like- exactly. Like Pablo Escobar's hippos. <laughs> anyway, that's... Basically, the story of the Welsh in Patagonia. Cool. All right, then. My turn. Okay. Before the Welsh in Patagonia even existed, mm-hmm. there was a Brazilian Welsh colony. Really? So there was, yes. There was wow. this dude called Thomas Benbo Phillips, who, honestly, he looks like he could be your great-great-grandfather. He looks like you. He does not look like me. He does look like him. Hang on, let me look I, at this. I'll send you the image now, but he totally looks like you. He does not look like me. He does. Uh, what was his name? His name was Thomas. I'm sending you the image. No, don't send me the look. image. Benbo Phillips. I just sent you the image. So, Thomas Benbo Phillips. Jesus born. Christ, he does look like me. See? I God. think you're related to this guy. God. I told you. Weird. It is weird. Especially because your beard is so long now. It looks just like his. How are his eyes? Have you checked out his eyebrow game? They they are not as luscious as yours. But are they crazy? That's the question. They no. They're not particularly crazy. They There's a fit. hint of crazy about them. There is a hint <laughs> of crazy about those eyebrows. It's only small, but there's a hint of crazy about them. I think you should do the Ancestry.com thing. You should figure out if you're related to this guy, because I think you are. Good God. Anyway, this guy, born 1829. What we're saying here is, though, is that he's extremely handsome, though, right? Are we keeping all of this in? Yes. Okay. So, this guy, Thomas Benbow Phillips, your Mm great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. Was born 1829. So handsome. And he also decided that we need to preserve Welsh culture. Instead of letting it preserve itself. And, you know, (laughs) just stop the English from trying to make us do stuff like them and just preserve it ourselves. But okay. And he thought Brazil would be a good place to do it. Now, it was smarter on his part in terms of he picked a place with, you know, that had more in terms of environment. Natural resources. To, yeah, it was. It would be easier on the colonists to to adapt to. A source of fresh water and something you could farm. But there, but it still didn't work out. So okay. So recently, they've actually like digitized some some stuff. Like his, one of his descendants 
gave some documents to the People's Collection Wales. So those are digitized. So you can see even his handwriting and like his invitation for people to come with him to establish the, the colony. So they went to a southern state in Brazil called Rio Grande do Sul. Mm-hmm. So it's not as cold as Wales, but it's cold-ish. Mm-hmm. And it's about, they, they went with about 40 people. And they went before the Patagonia colony was established. It's about 15 years before they did that. However, they had an even harder time with assimilation because there was a mining operation there and people from the colony went to work in the mining industry. And that's kind of what happens. You, oh no, let's preserve this culture at all costs. Okay, fine. Then you have to go Amish. Mm. That's the only way you can preserve a culture at all costs. Otherwise, you're going to have to exist with the people around you. I mean, even the Welsh in Patagonia ended up changing the language somewhat. And even if they were completely isolated, the language would have, would would have changed. Yeah. There's no way to preserve completely. Indeed. As as soon as you introduce something like a microwave into the Welsh language. Oh, the television. That's another teledi. I know that word. Teledi. Teledi. Oh, damn it. <laughs> That's a word I thought I knew. <laughs> but it is it is anyway. the most it is the most fun Welsh word to say out loud. Teledi. <laughs> anyway, so this was established in 1850, so 15 years before the Patagonian one. Mhm. But it did not last for very long and Bembo Phillips was one of the last ones to leave so it was four to five years that it actually lasted right okay there was this issue that people started you know going out of the colony to to find work and ended up coexisting with the Brazilian population but there was also lack of support from the Brazilian government Mm. So while the Argentinian government was like, yes, please come here. It's a paradise for you. The Brazilian government's like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. The lens over there. Sure. I forgot no to worries. mention, actually, that at one point, the citizens of the settlement, the Welsh settlement in Patagonia, petitioned the UK government to help them move to somewhere else, anywhere else. Doesn't matter. We don't care. <laughs> Just get us when? out of this godforsaken hellhole. When did they petition that? Well, that was in the first year <laughs> of trying to settle. They were enamoured with it from the off. <laughs> they really wanted to stick it out. Yeah, absolutely. And so they petitioned, they, they genuinely petitioned the UK government to go, okay, just, just please, just, I, just help us. Just, can we go? We'll go anywhere at this point. And the we government don't, don't said. And the government ignored them entirely. <laughs> they had no response whatsoever. So, yeah, there's nothing in my research that said that Bembo Phillips tried to contact the British government. I mean, they weren't in any dire straits. The thing is that the Brazilian government didn't give them any extra support like they did with the people who fled from the Civil War in the United States. And, you know, Southerners, slavers... They actually came here because there was still slavery in Brazil and they didn't want to be tried for anything that they had done prior or during the Civil War. They fled. Anyway, 
So the settlement lasted about five years. And in 1872, it's interesting this because the, they set sail in 1850 and the colony lasted until 1855 or 56, depending on how long it took to get here. Mm. But Bembo Phillips stayed here in Brazil until 1872. Okay. And then he moved to Patagonia. Oh, so he actually moved to the settlement in Patagonia then? Yeah. Ah. And the settlement here was called Nova Cumbria, which means New Wales. Yes. So that's it. That is the story of the Welsh in Brazil. They tried to come here. They tried to stay here. They did not. I mean, maybe they did. Maybe they did. Maybe some of them stuck around and married Brazilian people and have Brazilian descendants there in Rio Grande do Sul. Who knows? But yeah, so there it is. That is our episode. That is the Brazilian-Welsh connection. Um, Garrett's great, great... I guess he would be your great uncle or something. I mean, presumably. He here. There's a very strong gene pool. In the men in my family. We all look exactly the same as each other. Apart from the fact that you're a giant and your parents are half your size. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. But that's that's because, you know, it takes a while to perfect the recipe. That's the thing. <laughs> so, since I don't think he left any descendants in Wales, I'm guessing he'd be your great-great-uncle rather yeah. than grandfather. Yeah. yeah. Or cousin. Great-great. Cousin, is that a thing? Anyway, that is our episode. A little tidbit, while I was researching this, mm -hmm. I found that the only person who has taken the UK citizenship test in Welsh is a Brazilian guy. He did it last year. No way. Yeah, way. And he passed. Cool. And to get the... After that test... You need to pay fifteen hundred pounds to become a British citizen, mm -hmm. and so he crowdfunded that. And like the Welsh community, just like in a week, he had the money, and that was very cool. That's awesome. That's amazing. A, yeah, it's really cool. He felt really supported in his choice of a second home. He is a professor at Cardiff University. That's amazing. That's brilliant. I love that. Do you know why the UK citizenship test is available in Welsh as opposed to in English? Well, it has to be because it's an official language. Exactly. Absolutely. And there's a policy that uh, that everything has to be issued with two languages. So yeah. you end up with, in Wales, for example, you will have road signs all in Welsh. So you'll have the English version of it, and then you'll have the Welsh version usually underneath. Or in supermarkets, you have signs for what the aisles are for, and then you'll have the Welsh description of what they are uh, underneath that. Now, this caused some issues back in 2019 in an Asda store in Cambran, where a sign that was supposed to say alcohol-free had been translated using Google Translate, and instead came back saying rather than saying alcohol free it actually said free alcohol free alcohol i love this and then they had to give alcohol away mm -hmm. indeed now that's one of my favorite stories about this my favorite however comes from my hometown of swansea 
where there's, again, evolving an Asda. I don't know why it's always Asda that this happens with. <laughs> they can't find one person who speaks Welsh. There's an Asda. No, but this wasn't Asda's fault, to be fair. Asda had nothing but a tertiary kind of involvement in this. <laughs> but this wasn't Asda's fault. What happened was, is that there's an Asda supermarket in Swansea. And there's a housing estate newly erected next to it. Now, what would happen is that HGV lorry drivers would arrive to make deliveries to the supermarket, and they would use the estate to make turns around and so on and so forth. And so local residents were quite upset by this. Swansea Council decided to put up a road sign that said, no entry for heavy goods vehicles, residential site only. Okay. Okay. So they put up this road sign, but obviously because it's a road sign in Wales, it has to have... A Welsh translation. A Welsh translation. So Swansea Council, the person who designed the sign for Swansea Council, didn't speak Welsh. So he sent it to the local in-house Welsh translator via an email, got a response back, put it on the design of the sign, sent the design to Birmingham... The sign was printed in Birmingham, sent back, and then was erected in Swansea. The Welsh translation, and I'm almost certainly going to butcher this, but I'll give it a bash. <laughs> it says, Nid oith yn y sydfar ar hyn o bryd, an fanwch yn rhyw weith i'r gyffiddi. Okay. Right? Now, what that translates to in English <laughs> is, I'm not in the office at the moment. Send any work to be translated. So That's the amazing. road sign had printed the out-of-office <laughs> reply in Welsh from the Welsh translator. Oh my god, but, I mean, the email must have come with... I'm not well, in the office English at the moment. Yeah, dot, dot, it, dot, 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 dot. Welsh version of the out-of-office reply. Yeah, but they still printed that anyway. Oh my god, that's amazing. I love that. It's like bureaucracy at its finest. Exactly. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you for telling me that story. Well, you're very welcome. <laughs> All right, then. Okay. That is our episode. Yes. Our first episode of the year. I think <laughs> it was great. Yeah, I think I think we've knocked that one out of the park. Booyah. Okay, good. Thank you, everybody, for listening and sticking with us. We hope you had a good end of the year mm -hmm. and are now, you know, have cured your hangovers, if that's something you needed to do. By Clarissa, and which took shut up. three days. Shut up. What? shut up, dude. What? Shut up. What? Shut up. Okay. All right, fine. Okay. And I'm just saying I've got messages from you. That are <laughs> to begin the week tomorrow. That Yay. are basically along the lines of, oh, what fresh hell is this? <laughs> I did send uh, a, one of those lethal weapon gifs with the, um, I'm too old for this shit. This is death, I know it. <laughs> you were so dramatic. I did not say any of that. You, I, I have the messages. I can, I can forward them back to you if you want. 
Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Yes, we will indeed. Remember to rate and review us wherever you rate and review things. Follow us, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Where we at, yo? At Brazunuts Pod, and we now have an Instagram account. What's that? At Brazunuts Pod. What else do we have? A website. Which is? Brazunutspod.com. Boom! Yes, it is. There we go. It's a website that's legit because it's a legit website. Stay safe, look after yourselves and each other, and have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful beginning of 2021. And we will see you again real soon. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye! episode of the year yay whoop whoop hooray whoop whoopity whoop that wasn't very excited Brazil Nuts is an effort by Larissa Peixoto and Gareth Davis. We'd like to thank Oster Zielinski for our graphic design. We'd also like to thank the essential workers for keeping us safe and you, our listeners you are brilliant and beautiful and Let's hope 2021 is a much better year than 2020. It's the, um, Chinese year of the ox. That's what you are. You're an ox. Strong. Shaggy hair. Probably make a great soup. Okay, thanks. Okay, so do you want to do an episode or not? We are doing an episode. I know, but I mean, talk about the meat of the episode, the thing that people come to listen. Okay, Tony Soprano, we will get there. (laughs) I never watched The Sopranos.